Hey, I'm Chris. I'm John. I've got a thing about strays. I am unprepared. The Oscars really slapped last weekend. Hey, Kimmy, start the podcast. And welcome to Media High. What is Hey Kimmy? What is Hey Kimmy? Meet the, start the podcast. What does that mean? Have you you haven't watched Steven Soderbergh's Kimmy yet? I have not watched Steven Soderbergh's Kimmy yet. What, Kimmy even, is a film I don't even know starring what Kimmy Zoe Kravitz. Is. It's on HBO Max. Um, and oh, Kimmy is one. like an Alexa slash like yeah. Google Home assistant thing. Okay. Um, and the whole the whole movie is based on based off of this new kind of intelligent home assistant product. Got and it's called Kimmy. It. Okay. Well, how'd you like it? <laughs> How did I like Kimmy? Yeah. Was it good? Oh, it's fine. Okay. It's a tight, like 87 minutes, which oh, I really appreciated. That's nice. That's nice. Um, we need more. And of it's those. mostly Steven Soderbergh, just like playing with a camera. Sure. Just like having you know? a good time with it. Yeah, exactly. And so I appreciate that. It's, it's, I would say it is a, Fun 87 minute ride. I wouldn't have wanted to be there for 88 minutes. Okay. <laughs> Not a, you know? okay. So one minute longer and it, and it's done. It's exactly as long as it needs to be. Is it exactly as long as it should be or should it be shorter? No, no. I think, I think it's about right. Okay. Well, that's great. Okay. Can we, can you, can we, you've coda on your list for this month. Yeah. Also, hello. Welcome everybody to the 17 people who listen. It's it's the end of March, <laughs> and we're covering both February and March, maybe a little bit, because I barely watch any movies in March. But last weekend were the Oscars, and yes. and my what a night was it was. You were watching, mm. weren't you? Oh yeah. yeah, I was watching a full three hours before it started, just red carpet after red carpet. The Oscars really? is is my Super Bowl. Okay, I tune in basically all day long. Got it. Yeah, the Super Bowl is my Super Bowl, and the Oscars oh, and the Oscars are my Oscars. <laughs> um, oh. So, like, I'm just curious how many hours we want to go on the slap, or is it just like, <laughs> like I want to go zero hours and zero minutes? Four. <laughs> you want to go zero and is... zero? That's yeah. a hot take, John. Well, it is. It has already been talked about and. And picked over and memed. Yeah, but I have nauseum. heard neither uh, neither hide nor hair of your take on it, and I just would like one minute of your take. Um, and I think the people, I think the people want your take, John. It, it's it's a re it's really complicated. It's really yeah. complicated for okay. me because you know there's there's a couple different camps of people. There's those who are fully ready to meme the crap out of it. Mm. And, you know, joke until the cows come home. And then there are those who are who are feeling a bit more serious about it for one reason or another, whether it's the violence uh, component of it, the racial realities of it, the gender realities of it, whatever it might be. Um, and so I, I, I it's such a complicated thing for me, I think to step outside of any of the jokes and to step outside of any of the very real and important kind of realities that I just mentioned a mm. short list of a few of them to step outside of those. It just really felt sad to me as a huge Oscar fan that it really tainted the night and pulled the attention and yeah. the cultural conversation away from the films and the movies 
And I actually thought this was a really fun, good year filled with some exciting winners that I was really pumped to celebrate, whether it was Troy Kotzer or the Coda win or even the Will Smith win before the slap happened. I think so many people were so ready, whether they liked his performance in King Richard or not, they were super excited to celebrate Will Smith winning an Oscar for the first time, just like we were ready to celebrate Leo winning an Oscar, even if we didn't love The Revenant, you know? Yeah. And so... Uh, my overarching without stepping into a lot of the other territories is as an Oscars fan, I was just sad that it felt like it just took away from absolutely the entire evening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with that. I think it's, it's an espe- especially a bummer for Questlove and summer of soul. Yes. Who is, who is the, the winner of the award being presented most of whom have no idea that that award happened at all. Questlove won for Best Documentary, Summer of Soul, which is an um, arguably one of the more important movies that won an award that night. And, and yeah, I agree. It was just a bummer and a really just wild moment that I mm-hmm. am really sad about and am very curious to see uh, where what what happens you know obviously yeah. i think a lot of people are very like doomsday about it and it's like will smith's career's changed forever his legacy will never be the same and like in a lot of ways that's a little bit true this is a moment that is going to impact his legacy but also it's like i don't i don't think that it's going to be like the end of an era personally because he has yeah. like three movies in production so well yeah and everything is you know in our in our culture and the culture of, you know, social media and Twitter takes, everything is the most important thing in the world until the the next thing Sure, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, Can I ask, were you, we didn't talk before the Oscars. So were there any particular, uh, I don't like the word, but snubs that you were, that you felt would need some attention? Yeah, I think so. My, my, my biggest overarching snub from a from a I shouldn't say overarching my biggest individual snub for an individual award was Denis Villeneuve f- for, for director. Best director. Yeah. It just okay. makes zero sense to me. It's unbelievable. If you're especially even post Oscars night if your movie is going to win basically every below the line award. Oh gosh. But from production design to cinematography to sound to score like there's a person who chooses all of those people yeah. and yeah. who coordinates all of those people yeah. and who brings all those people's individual work together. And that's yeah. called the director. It just, it just made no sense. To yeah. Me that, it that it he was blew nominated. my mind. And like even listening to all of the acceptance speeches of all of the people who won under Denis in every single speech, all of them pointed to Denis and said, look, it was because yes. of him. And in, I've been listening to a lot of like interviews and things with the, especially with the sound crew of, of Dune and like with Hans Zimmer and with a bunch of people. And in every single one, it's wow, Denis was such an incredible leader through this process. And I'm so glad that you bring up Denis because you hadn't watched Dune the last time we talked, right? Or had you? No, I had. I so, had. So this is a because it's on your this list. Was this was a rewatch. This was a rewatch. Okay. That was my only rewatch of this last month because Erin hadn't seen it, and mm. so I, we wanted to make sure that she saw it uh, before the Oscars. Yeah. So, but it was great to 
to rewatch because obviously there's a lot going on in that film. Yeah. And it plays with timeline so much and the visions. It's just really great to, if you haven't returned to Dune, do it. It really multiple times. It, yeah, it rewards a, a rewatch. The first time I yes. saw it in the theater, I liked it. I didn't love it. The second time I watched it at home with my family, I loved it. I loved it, mm-hmm. and it, and it was the, upon the second watch that I like truly have not been able to get it out of my mind since. In a way that like the last movie to stick in my mind as much as this has was Little Women in 2019, and like mm-hmm. the amount that I've dug into, you know, interviews with the editor and interviews with, with the director and interviews with all the people is just like, I just want to hear how this movie was made in every way. Yeah. Um, but Denis Lu was a snub for best director. Yes. And then movies for me that I felt were just totally left off very, very sadly, just two for me was pig and come on, come on. Yeah. Would it like come on, come on, not getting at least a screenplay nomination makes no sense to me. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can take or leave kind of the very, I think brilliant, but very subtle performances in come on, come on. I thought it was so um, Whether good. it be, oh my gosh, I love, I think yeah. come on, come on was my favorite movie of 2021. Whoa. I, I could talk, I could talk for so long about why I yeah, love that movie. And, that's fun. And I wish, I wish Nick Cage had gotten nominated for Pig. Sure. Um, and I think I think a lot of people who saw that movie feel the same way. Yeah. I have still have not seen Pig. Um, it's been on my list for ages. Come On, Come On was, was not m- my favorite movie of the year, but it was very good. Unfortunately, though, you saying Come On, Come On should have been nominated, I, I sort of forgot that I watched that movie. And I watched mm. it a few months ago. And you saying that, like, it never in the entire Oscars conversation, it never even crossed my mind. Like it, and so maybe the maybe that's an implication of like, okay, how much of an impact did it actually have on me? But it was very, very beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it is one of like the sweetest movies I've yeah. seen in a really really long time. Yeah, um, which is sad to me that it wouldn't get. Um, any sort of recognition because and because it didn't i think even less people saw that movie than w- the small amount of people who did that anyway. did. yeah right it, it was very fun sitting in the theater first of all the score is incredible second of oh all, my gosh i listen to the score all yeah, the time yeah walking phoenix was so good but third yes. of all i it like it i really felt like I personally connected to it so much just because of the nature of the of the titular character or the lead character who is a podcast producer hmm. and the the movie is about the relationship he has with his sister and her son and hmm. like it just felt very reminiscent of my relationship with my sister and her hmm. and her stepson and that was a very beautiful thing to like connect to so deeply hmm. Um, which I, I had a, I had a really fun time watching that in the theater. Yeah. I think for me, it, yeah, I, I agree. I think what resonated so deeply, I was a mess after watching that movie. Mm-hmm. Just like I had a very, it's a, it slowly worked its way with me. And then in the last 15 minutes, there were two parts, two pieces and two scenes in particular that just left me kind of like emotionally wrecked. And I think part of it is that it's a movie that's really exploring, you know, 
a relationship between two males, a grown man and a boy, learning to express emotion and mm. what that means and how mm. to do that. Um, and that I just think that's a really rare that's a really rare thing to find in the world, and it's a really rare thing to find a story about that. Um, and yeah, that that relationship is so beautiful, and you know this the couple scenes at the end where you know he's Joaquin's trying to tell Woody Norman like it's okay, you can scream, you can yell, you can do it's okay to not be fine. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, it was just really really beautiful to me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I wish. What about that you? I- I wish that Adam Driver had gotten a Best Supporting Actor nomination. For which of his seven films? For The Last Duel, because I have not not seen... uh, Oh, what is it called? Annette? Yeah, I have not seen Annette. Um, But I thought that he was magnificent in The Last Duel. And Mm. then I'm also just bummed as always that Wes Anderson didn't get a nomination for anything for the French dispatch. But this time I think it is truly quite obscene that he did not get uh, at least best production um, design nomination. Oh yeah. And I think a best editing nomination for that movie is, is a bit of a snub just because of the, the, you know, um, anthology sort of nature of it. That, that's just yeah, there's a lot of intricacy and there's a lot of really smart cuts of going into the story and then pulling out of it and all of those different things. Yeah. Uh, I, to- I totally agree. I think from that, that's not anywhere near my favorite Wes Anderson film, but mm. the production design and, th- and the way he went about all of those stories, I thought was, was really masterful. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he was just so, he like had s- so much fun with it. So yes. clearly, I mean, in in a interview clip, he just says like, "I just wanted to do whatever I wanted to do in this movie, and I did yeah. all of those things, and that's so clear." And and I, you know, I really respect that as a piece of art. Um, okay, can you tell me how you liked Coda? Because you watched that this ah. month for the first time, and yeah. I would love to hear your thoughts on it after it won Best Picture. Yeah, so Coda was one of our February watches. I'd been, you know, Coda came on my radar, I think like last summer or something, kind of when it came on everyone's radar. It, it felt like out the gate, when, once Apple bought it, and it came out on Apple, a lot of people were talking about it, like, this is best picture winner, da 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 And then people came and were like, hey, it's a really good kind of like Disney Plus, and I don't mean that as the streaming service, I mean like... Yeah a Disney-fied movie, plus it's, like, a little bit better than that, you know? Right. It's, like, it's um, like an, a, a, a slightly more adult version of High School Musical is how I, is how I kept yeah. thinking about it. Yeah, and so I think my expectations for Coda were rightly set in that way. Mm. I went in expecting a movie, a really good version of kind of a popular-level pull-at-your-heartstrings movie, mm-hmm. and that's, a, that's exactly what I got. Um, and I think, I think in different hands, uh, and I, what I mean by different hands is I think in the hands of different actors, that movie probably isn't as effective, Mm. but I think the cast specifically that family, Mm -hmm. um, they take their performances, take it from kind of like a Hallmarky type movie to a, a, a level of 
movie where I was not upset when it won Best Picture. Yeah, um, sure. Did I think it was the best you know movie of the year? No, but was Coda in my like top fifteen movies for sure? Yeah, uh, because it was. It knew what it wanted to be, and it was an amazing version of that. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point about the family because they really, I mean, obviously are the bedrock of the movie. Um, but thinking about it, like, I think the rest of the cast is just so blah. Like, I think mm. I, I, like, did not really like a performance in that movie outside of the four family members. Um, and so I think that, like, Looking at it through that lens is great. I also just, w I was floored that it won Best Picture. Um, I, I like, I like yelled at my TV out loud <laughs> several times. Um, ah. Not because I was upset, just because of like how I probably would have slotted it at like sixth or seventh in likelihood to mm -hmm. win out of the grouping. Um, and just really, you know, with the rest of the world thought power of the dog was going to win, but I'm glad it didn't, you know? Yeah. I think it, I think it felt really good because while most people I think share our opinion that was Coda the best highest achievement in cinema in 2021. No, I do think I haven't heard anyone. I haven't heard a lot of takes of like Coda is bad. No, you know, no. like I don't, yeah. I don't think you can watch that Neither movie and say I. it's bad. I feel like that's know? just a cr would be a crime. Like I feel like it's it's just yeah. everybody would look at you and say why? Like why are you yeah. saying that? What's the point? Yeah, yeah exactly. Friend, and I th it was sorry. Go ahead. A mutual friend of ours, Matt, uh, texted me that night and said. You know, tonight at the Oscars, we saw humanity take the low road and we saw humanity take the high road. And I think mm -hmm. that like seeing Coda win was just this really beautiful collective moment of the Academy saying like, hey, this is just a piece of art that is really beautiful and puts a lot of life into the world. And let's celebrate that. And that mm -hmm. was unexpected. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I loved Coda and... I do, I do think there are just some movies out there that you have to accept them for what they are and what they're trying to be mm. and measure them sort of against that. I feel the same yeah. way about like superhero movies and superhero cinema. Yeah. There are some that transcend that category, but for most of them, it's just like, was Spider-Man No Way Home just like a really great version of a superhero movie? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So what Speaking do you think... Sorry, can I ask a question? No, please, John, please. Something that's on both of our lists that I don't, we haven't talked about this yet. Can we talk about Worst Person in the World? Just yeah. briefly. We don't have to go on about no, it because I don't absolutely. think a lot of people have seen it. But Absolutely, yeah. If you yeah. don't know, Worst Person in the World is a foreign film um, this year. That a Norwegian film. Shout out no to my people. Ayo. Uh, nominated for Best Original Screenplay, right? Or was it just um, Yes, for... Best Original Screenplay. Yeah, and then also Best Foreign Film. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Yes, Best Foreign um, Language as well. And listen, I, I left the theater feeling terrible after this movie. It like sent me to, into such an incredibly dark uh, place. Mm. There are... But I found myself thinking about it a lot um, since since watching it in the theater. And there are so many beautiful moments in mm -hmm. this movie. 
And there are so many just heartbreaking moments in this movie. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, um, you know, first of all, I think the, the performance at the center of it, um, by I'm blanking on her name right now. Uh, Renate, I think you say Renate, uh, Rinsive. What is her name? I'm, I'm looking look it, up. it up. I got it. I got it. Uh, Renate Rensv. It's R E I N S V E. We yeah. can just call her Julie, which is her <laughs> character name. Well, re- the performance at the center of it, I think, was was pretty astounding, and yeah. I I likened it a little bit. Did you watch The Lost Daughter? No. Okay, so I likened it a little bit to the Olivia Coleman Jesse Buckley performances, and they play the same character, the mm-hmm. two of them just years apart. I likened it to those characters in The Lost Daughter because what we see is this female character at the center of a movie that has so many different facets and angles, and there's times in that movie where, you know, Renate is is funny and there's times where she's kind of despicable and there's times where she's sexy and there's times where she's in, in you know immature and insecure mm-hmm. like there's just so many different kind of angles of it and she's really a it's a fully fleshed out character and a fully fleshed out person yeah um which is which is i think one of the things i appreciated most about the movie sure i I thought the first half of that movie was really really daring and really really unique and interesting in the way it told the story. And then I felt the second half was just kind of a bit, uh, normal and average, mm. um, in, in terms of it, it felt like it stopped taking risks in the second sure. half. And what I loved about the first half is it took a lot of risks visually, you know, from a, from a storytelling perspective. And then it just kind of like, I don't know, felt like it lost its, uh, lost its courage. Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm going to be honest, I can't, I don't really remember it in, in a lot of, in a lot of the specificity of like how it played out, um, to agree or disagree with that s- statement. I just remember in the second half falling down a pit mm. of despair and that's, and that's, and I think a lot of that is, is due to how much of myself I saw in, in Julie in the main character mm. because she is a ultimately to me is a movie of discontentment and it's and totally it's, and it's how discontentment plays into the decisions of life and plays into relationships mm. and plays into everything and I am somebody who can often become really easily discontent with the people around me or the things around me or the things that I'm doing. And so I, I think I watched with a lot of fear that I would, that I, that this story would be mine and that the discontentment that Julie feels would be the discontentment that I feel. And that because of that, (laughs) I would make all of the same terrible decisions or, or find myself in the same situations. And so it was a really, It was a really weighty watch for me for those like, yeah, very it sounds like it was, reasons. I think I, I do think that's what the film in, in part is trying to do. Yeah. So it sounds like it was effective. For it you was, it, it was, and it, it was effective in, in being scary and being like a really scary picture. Um, mm. but then in the way that it, I thought the, the, like, I thought the way that it ended was a really interesting choice 
to sort of see her come a little bit full circle um, and to see her sort of change for from the outside what seems like the better in the final scene. But like, mm. I'm just so curious to see like what her emotional state in that final scene actually was, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I was nervous when I was watching it because I kind of watched it in two parts. Mm. Um, I watched the first half and then I took a decently long break before finishing it. And I remember thinking in my sort of lengthy intermission, oh, I'm really nervous that this is going to kind of be a movie about you just got to do whatever you need to do in order to be happy. Sure. No matter who you hurt, no matter what you do. Yeah. And one thing I did feel was was effective about the second half of the movie even if it wasn't as interesting as the first half is I do feel like she has to reckon with a lot of the kind of the decisions, decisions that, yeah. she makes in the first half, yeah, which I absolutely. thought was very, very effective. And I was really grateful for, because I personally just really struggle with that kind of narrative in our culture today of like, yeah. it's all about just making yourself happy. So just do what you need to do in order to do that. Yeah. Um, I think we have more of a responsibility perhaps to one another than that, but yeah. I was glad that, all that to say, I was glad that the film had a more nuanced view of that yeah, than I, I was agree. maybe expecting. My, what was uh, going to be your question? Oh, I don't, I don't remember. It was going to oh. be about a movie that you had seen. But I, my last thing that I'll say about The Worst Person in the World yeah. is that the, the, the only quote that I wrote down from the movie was, I grew up in a time when culture was passed on through objects. And it yeah. doesn't really play into the into the overarching narrative of the movie very importantly. But I just love that line so much. It made me think in a lot of ways and thought it, mm -hmm. I thought it was really beautiful. Well, um, I feel like that character, sorry not to go on about no, it, but I feel please. like that character, the, the Anders Danielson Lee character, one of her like first boyfriend in the film, um, that character is so interesting to me because I feel like especially in the second half, he's in like another movie altogether or, or having another conversation about like art and culture and aging Yeah, that really is, feels like almost too separate from the main themes and through line of the, of the plot and the film. Mm. But, but I, I would almost watch like an entire spinoff movie or a sequel just about the Anders Danielson Lee character about who, his who is the one who says that world. quote yeah 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 because if if you haven't seen it he's a he's a comic book artist who falls into like a lot of discussion and yeah because uh, he kind of does some like uh, he has like an absurdist style that kind of seeks to uh offend in order to get its point across and so yeah he he kind of comes across people who don't maybe necessarily he feel understand his art. Yeah. Um, and that becomes a secondary narrative throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, you can, okay. In some ways, like he is kind of the worst person in the world yeah, as well. Yeah, truly. Yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. It's true. So, yeah. But then, yeah. Yeah. You guys should, it's one that I think people should watch too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do think there's a, there's an overall on. movement with Parasite winning Best Picture a few years ago, with Drive My Car being nominated in multiple categories this year, I do think there's a movement where people are getting, and, and like even the success on, on Netflix of Squid Game and that show, I think there's a movement of people being less and less afraid of foreign language mm -hmm. cinema 
and and I feel that movement even within myself. This last year, I saw more foreign language films than I have ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is because streaming makes them a little bit more widely available. But uh, yeah, this this is one of those foreign language films that I I I recommend people check out. Um, and don't don't as Bong Joon Ho said, you know, wonderfully in his I think it was his best director oscar for parasite in his speech he said if we can get over the fear of the two inch fear of subtitles we're going to be open to a whole new world of stories in cinema i was Um, waiting to to say that exact quote and i'm glad that you you got there (laughs) first that's so great um yeah i agree i haven't i have not watched a lot of foreign language film in my life until the last year or two and even now i'm not very watching very much and i'm excited to continue watching more uh to take a sharp veer in this yeah should we talk about something people actually have watched and will watch what did you think about the (laughs) batman my guy yes the batman um cristobal i i really enjoyed the batman like thoroughly good through and through sure i I've listened to a lot of conversations and had a lot of conversations since of people nitpicking different pieces about it. But I was, I was just all in for the, the moody detective Batman. Yeah. Um, it was very different than I was expecting. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was glad because, I, I think, you know, of the multiple iterations of Batman that we have seen, because it's it's impossible to have a conversation about the Batman and the Matt Reeves version without talking about the Chris Nolan version and the Burton version and all of those different things. I think what makes these different iterations under these different directors, the different iterations of Batman, the ones who are most successful are the ones with a very clear and distinct point of view on the character and on the world and on what these stories are actually about. And this first installment, what I hope is a first installment of many from Matt Reeves with Rob mm-hmm. Pattinson, it has a very distinct point of view that is very, very different than the Nolan point of view or very, very different than the Burton point of view. And I really appreciated that. It, it was not a super, it really wasn't a superhero story at all. It was a detective mm-hmm. story. And it just so happened that the detective is wearing a cape and a mask. Yeah. Yeah. I, for about half the movie, I was, I was really in it. And for about half of the movie, I was really out of it. And was that chronological? Like, were you in it no, for the first half and no. then you jumped out? That's a great question. No, it was just like I kept, you know, fading in and out of the story. To Mm. me, I just like I walked out of the theater not quite as nowhere near as angry as I did walking out of Joker. But I walked out of the theater with a similar sentiment of why did this movie need to be made Um, and Mm. why? what's the you say you say it has a unique point of view which i think is true it does but i don't understand why this story matters to the world and matters Mm -hmm. and matters to us right now i think what i did really appreciate about the movie was the 
the true sadness that Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves brought to this character, I think that that is something that we haven't seen, at least in the blockbuster Batmans. Um, Just this true, like, emotional sadness Mm -hmm. in, in... in the character of Bruce Wayne. And I thought that that was really fun, especially in some of the scenes uh, with Catwoman where there were just some moments um, that were really incredible. But yeah, I think overall, I, I don't know. I liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was like fun. I thought there were some moments that were unbelievable. Like when the, when he's walking towards the car out of the explosions upside down, Oh, Do you yeah. remember that? Like, there are mm-hmm. some shots in here that are genuinely some of the best superhero shots I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. And, oh, my gosh. Th- probably the most, my favorite moment of the entire movie was when when they're on the top of the building, Batman and Catwoman, and the music that plays the the score is by Michael Giacchino or Giacchino mm-hmm. yeah. who's the same person who did the Incredibles mm-hmm. and of Pixar fame of Pixar fame and there are a couple of moments when I could just so clearly hear the Incredibles in in the soundtrack and it was this really cool like wow he did that and now he's doing this and this is like an elevated grungier grittier more adult version of the the incredible soundtrack in a lot of ways and i thought Mm. that was really cool yeah you bring up a really good point i think about you know we, we talked earlier about coda and the importance of kind of accepting it for what it is Mm. and i think with with the batman because you have you know greg frazier as the cinematographer who just won the Oscar for cinematography in Dune, you know, and because you have, you know, uh, an Oscar nominated composer making the score. And because you take this angle on Bruce Wayne, that is very, 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 very serious uh, because I think Matt Reeves like took this angle that was like, this is a superhero movie, but this is also serious cinema. And even the choices he made to to literally copy pieces of Seven or Chinatown and all of these different, you know, detective stories, it because of some of these more elevated choices that Matt Reeves is trying to make, he, he it feels like he's trying to lift the movie outside of just a superhero genre. Mm. It feels like that's what he's trying to do. But if you're going to do that, then people like us are going to then measure it and expect it to do things that that transcend those genres sure. like as you're saying like commenting or having something to say about the world around us yeah and, and having cuz cuz when i bring up it has a point of view i think what i really meant was it has a point of view on this character yeah i do, i agree with you in that i'm i'm not really sure if it was as successful in saying something about the world at large yeah and when it comes to kind of the higher forms of cinema and the things that i think we would like to see winning oscars we expect that not only is the story interesting not only is the craft there but also it's saying something about society or about human nature or about the world larger 
than the world of the film. And what's interesting is if, you know, if Matt Reeves had taken a more comic booky, you know, um, and I mean comic book film version of this, because I do think the best comic books actually have those conversations. But if he, if this had been more of like a, a traditional Marvel movie or a traditional DC type movie, I don't think we would leave uh, with that kind of hole that you left with. But because yeah. it sort of uh, puts on airs of being this more higher form of cinema, then yeah. we're like, okay, well then you better say something. And yeah. I'm not sure it was successful in doing that. Yeah. I think that you said something in there that I thought was really interesting. <laughs> there was one piece of that that I thought was really interesting. John. Oh, great. That four minute monologue. I, I'm no, glad all, I nailed all, one sentence. All of that was fantastic. And there's one piece that really made me think even deeper. And you said that says something outside of the world in which the movie is set. And I think that that's a really good point because I think if we were all living inside this movie, it would be like, whoa, this just happened over there in Gotham, which is another city in the world that I know of. And this story is crazy. I can't believe that this just happened. And I think it would be really impactful. I think that the, the, the story, the events of the movie would be impactful in the world in which this movie is set. But I think that's only true because the world in which this movie is set feels extremely shallow to me. It, hmm. it feels like there is just not enough depth to the spectrum of this world that this movie lives in. And maybe that's just because we, you know, we're, we're looking at it through one character's POV. We're looking, looking at it through one specific series of events in one specific city. Mm-hmm. But I think that the picture we got was as if as if they only used the it, when you're doing I'm going to I'm going to use an art metaphor. When Please. you're when you're Take me drawing, to art school. when you're drawing in in charcoal you're often going to be drawing on a a gray piece of paper. And you use charcoal to fill in the blacks, and then you will often use a thing called Conte crayon, which is just a, like a white pastel crayon, to, to shade in the highlights. And, and by doing those two things on this gray piece of paper, you get the highlights, and you get the darks, and you get the midtones with the paper. And to me, this movie felt as though it was it was set against a gray piece of paper, but they were only using the charcoal and they didn't mm-hmm. use any of the Conte crayon. And because of that, we we get a fully formed picture. We can tell what it is, but there is none of the lightness that exists in in our world and our reality to give this a fully fleshed out, fully formed picture of reality. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting metaphor for it, and, and I think I think part of that comes from the fact that the Matt Reeves version of Gotham or the Matt Reeves version of Batman it, it went it turned certain aspects of it up to one hundred. Right. You know, it turned right. the the vulnerability and the I don't have any superpowers aspect of Bruce Wayne, it turned that up to 100. It turned the sadness of his loss with his parents up to 100. It turned the darkness and the lies of Gotham up to 100. Yeah. Um, And and I think that, and I think that that was all effective, 
Sure. But, but to me, it's like turning those up to 100, it, it actually, if you give those things a lightness to contrast them, it actually makes them feel darker and it makes them feel deeper and it makes them feel worse. And in this case, I just don't think we got any of the lightness to, that, to, to compare the darkness to. Yeah, for sure. The closest we got is the only time I found myself um, laughing or finding any sort of joy in this movie was just at Robert Pattinson's. There were certain lines that he had where I was like, mm -hmm. oh, he's just so dry. And and he's I think he's such a good actor that he mm -hmm. is able to elicit some kind of, of humor within a line that has or a movie that has almost none. Um, but yeah, you're you're absolutely right in that way. Um, will you go see the next installment? Probably. If it's three hours again, will you still go see it? <laughs> Real, speaking genuinely, like probably. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Uh, will I be ex ex super ecstatic about it? Probably not. Um, mm. But I don't, I'm curious to see if there will be another installment. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But I, 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 I certainly, uh, and from an overall standpoint, enjoyed this one. Um, yeah, it was, it was up there for me in terms of a successful Batman film. Mm. Uh, and I, and I wish, I wish DC in the characters that it would work for, I wish they did more of this kind of thing rather than, um, they're like B version of Marvel's humor and Marvel yeah. storytelling and Marvel crossovers. Yeah. I just, I think well, they should just I be different. Yeah, and I think there's, you know, I think it's a very real possibility that we continue to get more and more of these because, you know, Joker was obviously such a monumental success in 2019. And now this is, I think, has been and will continue to be a really strong success for them as well. Um, and I think that they sort of are, are starting to understand what their niche is in the superhero mm. genre and what they yeah. can do really well because it's not because what Marvel won't do, you know, it's, I don't think that Marvel will ever quite go this dark and that, but that's something that people crave. Um, yeah. I also wonder, this is getting us into a DC conversation, so I apologize, but I wonder if part of the issue with DC is they don't have a ton of IP that kind of sits in the middle uh, in terms of um, kind of superhero ability, they have mm. a lot of gods yeah. like Superman or you know Wonder Woman, like otherworldly kind yeah. of um, invulnerable characters in a lot of ways, and then they have a few like just your average regular Joe Batman. Yeah, but there's not a lot of like Iron Mans or Captain America, like heightened humans. Yeah, that's true. Within the DC universe. And I think that's what makes a lot of the Marvel characters so fun and so interesting is because mm. they're relatable to a point, but they also can like, they have, some, yeah, you know, throw a shield into a building and the building crumbles, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There is, there is a sense of that. like true vulnerability alongside power, which yes. is true. That doesn't happen a lot in where all we got really was DC. the vulnerability in this Batman. Yeah, it's true. And then all we got in man of steel, you know, or Batman versus Superman was like a impenetrable, you know, Kal L, you know? Wow. That's yeah. Good. Nice name. Hey, I think that's um, Superman's actual name. No, right? that's no, it is. I'm, I'm impressed. Oh. I'm impressed. Hey. Look at you. I read. 
Look at us. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, John, do you want to do, uh, should we do superlatives? Oh, sure. I guess I'll ask you, how did you like turning red before we move on? Oh, another one, Chris, that I, I highly no. recommend. Oh, really? Oh, people. wow. That's not yeah. where I expected. No, that I loved to go. turning red. Oh, good. I, yeah, I thought it was the most successful Pixar movie for me since Inside Out. Um, yeah. That's and, huge. And, wow. And Coco to a certain extent. Um, but I, I just think that real briefly, turning red, you know, Pixar more and more over the years has tried to blend in these very adult themes with a story and characters and a world that is going to be enter simultaneously entertaining to kids. Yeah. And I thought something like Soul was just totally failed at that. Yeah. Like I, I don't really see Soul as being a super entertaining movie to any child anywhere mm -hmm. other than maybe like the cat, the talking cat. And I thought Turning Red was definitely a return to that inside-out feel of, man, this movie is really fun, it's really bright, it has a great world, it's funny, it has characters that kids can identify with, and it's also having very adult conversations about, much like Inside Out, about emotions and about the relationship between parents and kids and communication between generations. And honestly, Turning Red is having a really intense conversation about like budding sexuality and shame around right. our yeah. like sexual desires. And um, but it really does it in a way where an adult sees it and is not and can't miss it, whereas a kid probably only sees it and experiences it internally while they're just being incredibly entertained by this mm -hmm. adorable giant panda. So yeah. I, I love Turning Red. That's really exciting to hear. Yeah, I mean. I you know that I have been really unimpressed with the last several Pixar movies. Um, I thought Soul was really tedious to get through. I thought Onward was terrible. I thought Luca was pretty good. I, yeah. but, but the difference is that I didn't like Inside Out when I saw it. Um, and so I'm, I'm very excited to, to watch Turning Red and, and see how it plays. Maybe I'll watch that tonight, John. Maybe I'll watch mm -hmm. that tonight. I, I, okay. I hope you do. I hope everyone watches Turning Red. It's good. Yeah. Well, okay. So to turn now to our superlatives. My first superlative, and I hate to start with a negative one, but my most likely to be the exact same in everything that they are in goes to Ryan Reynolds. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, for Free Guy. <laughs> for Free for Guy. The Adam Project. I, I also watched The Adam Project. Yeah. I also watched Red Notice last year. It, it's just like, Ryan Reynolds, get your paycheck, get your money, huge star. Clearly, a lot of people are still charmed by him, which is totally fine by me. His charm is totally lost on me at this point. Mm. His, his entire shtick of I'm going to be the super sarcastic kind of maybe wounded guy, but I'm never actually going to let you see the wound that the sarcasm comes from thing. Like he's just played Deadpool without a mask since he did Deadpool. Yeah. Um. That's all he's doing in Free Guy. That's all he's doing in The Atom Project. And the worst part about The Atom Project for me is that there's a, they basically like take this kid actor and they're like, be a small, more annoying version of Ryan Reynolds. Oh, good. Um, that's and always so fun. the Atom Project is like my, my own personal hell. 
in a lot of ways um, because there is a miniature version of this man that frustrates me in film. So most likely to be the exact same in everything he does, Ryan Reynolds. But yeah, he's a very rich man. So go for my, it. My yeah, my question is like, do you think that the, do you think he wants to do other things? Do you think it's I, like a Matthew McConaughey situation where Matthew McConaughey was doing all of his rom coms and he finally was like no, I'm not going to do these anymore. I'm going to just stop acting until I get a serious role. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, he's he, Ryan Reynolds has done, I mean, f- literally Red Notice, Free Guy, and The Adam Project have all mm-hmm. come out in a year span of each other. And maybe he doesn't think he's doing the same thing, but I don't know how he can't. I think he like, probably knows he's doing the same thing. And is probably like I'm making my money. Go for it. Yeah, honestly, you know, yeah, maybe he doesn't have like, any uh, desires. Well, he's beyond that. he's he's busy. He's busy running Mint Mobile, John. Sure, he's yeah. busy running all of his companies that he's. Well, he bought. lost. He has his acting has lost him one customer in me. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm really no curious to see. I mean, is there? Here's a question: Is there a Ryan Reynolds movie of old? In which he isn't that character. Like, yeah. can you, what's, so, what's, you know, I think every actor has their, has like their sweet spot, you know? Um, we've talked a lot about Will Smith on this episode already. Like, I think Will Smith's sort of sweet spot is his, his like, I can, um, his like vulnerability within while being like a large man, you know, Will Smith's like almost crying or crying is like something he does in pretty much every movie. Like Andrew Garfield, it's when he gets weepy. Denzel, it's when like Denzel telling you how it is happens in every single movie. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Denzel can tell me and, how it is any day he wants. And exactly. That's I, I, and I want that for me. It, and that I think is like, I don't know how much we've talked about like the movie star versus actor conversation, but mm-hmm all movie stars have that thing where they can just, they can lean on their like Trump card and I'm always going to want to watch it. Yeah. For me, I want the, the movie star to lean on that Trump card in one scene per movie that they're in and then actually play the character, you know, for the other 90 minutes of the movie. I feel like Ryan Reynolds is all Trump card. Hmm. And I, so I just get very bored of it very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. And I, I, I want to ask again, it, do you, can you think of a movie in which he, in which oh, you, no. no, the answer is no. Well, I think like, have you seen Buried? No. Buried is like a, a an interesting, it was when, back when Ryan Reynolds was like maybe thinking about doing something other than like action, sarcastic action hero. Yeah. Um, it was like post rom-com Ryan Reynolds and pre sarcastic action hero. And the whole movie, it's just about him getting buried alive. And the whole thing basically takes place in the casket. Um, wow. He's Jeez. doing something a little bit different. And like, that's a movie where like, he certainly plays the Trump card once or twice, but it's yeah. not, he's not like sitting in this casket being like, Oh, bury me. Sure. Go ahead. That sounds yeah. great. Like he's not right. doing that thing. Well, for impeccable Ryan Reynolds impression there. I mean, that's literally 
that's the best that's the best it gets right there. John, heard it. John is upset. <laughs> John John is angry at the world. <laughs> there's just be- there's a better use of our time. I think. No, I agree. But people are I very agree. charmed by it. I I am one of those people who is charmed more so that's than great. you certainly. I love Ryan Reynolds like one minute ads that he does for his several companies that he owns on YouTube. <laughs> I think his But like, even that his, it's like, all Trump card. I know, but at least it's only one minute of it, and it's yes. very funny. I, I That's quite as much as I this. can stomach. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, you brought up... Sorry, I, you you said something about Will Smith, and I just want to go... We didn't talk about King Richard. I just want to touch on that really briefly. Did you like it? Because I did not. Oh, um, I did like King Richard. What did you not like about it? I thought the direction was so bad. I thought oh, the and I thought the score was so bad and I thought the editing was really tacky. Hmm. I didn't necessarily I I again like King Richard was another movie where I felt like my expectations were properly set. I said Sure. Okay. I I feel sure. like I'm about to walk in to a sports to a somewhat cliché sports movie that's going to have a somewhat big performance at the center of it where someone's kind of doing an imitation of a real person. And it's probably going to be a bit manipulative in the way it tries to tug on my heartstrings at times. Yeah. Yeah. And so because I thought I was walking into that, I wasn't disappointed by anything when it did all of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think it did all those things pretty well. Plus I am a pretty large tennis fan, specifically a huge fan of the Williams sisters. And so it was going to be hard to disappoint me uh when telling their story yeah that's fair that's fair i forgot and I just about miss, i miss cliche sports movies yeah i get that i forgot that you're a fan of tennis I for, I people am. forget that yeah have you seen the battle of the sexes did you did i never i never watched that you haven't years seen it ago. okay no i'm i'm i missed that one i think i was very low on both steve carell and emma stone at the time yeah um was just a little tired of their like forays into serious acting at the time. Yeah. Um, and I no longer feel that way about Emma Stone. Steve Carell maybe still feel that way, but Uh-oh. I missed that one. All of that to say, I missed Battle of the Sexes. Have you seen Borg versus McEnroe? Oh, yes. Yeah. I Are you love a fan of Borg? Yeah, I, I really Borg liked it. McEnroe. I really liked mm-hmm. it. I think it's like um, one of the one of the big underrated movies of you know, the last five or seven years. I can't remember when it came out. Yeah. Big. It's a big part of my, uh, roller coaster love of, uh, Shia LaBeouf. Oh, Shia. I mean, yeah. he really turned it around and I am a huge fan. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's one of those people that, that continually frustrates me because I, I genuinely think Shia LaBeouf is, is one of the, like the great actors under 40 right now it's just his his off-screen you know life i think (laughs) makes him so polarizing for a lot of people understandably so because of some of the things he says and some of his behavior and what he does um and it's just sad to me because i think that turns a lot of people off to sure the absolutely incredible work he does in in movies like borg versus McEnroe or even peanut butter falcon yeah. last year or whatever it might be i think he's just so fantastic 
I actually um, have no, I have no idea. I have no clue what he does outside of movies. I don't pay. I, the only thing I know about him outside of movies is his fashion, which I'm a big fan of. Yeah. He's, he's just been a bit of a wild card over the years and yeah. he's had some run-ins and oh, Shia. things that people are not happy about. Yeah. Um, That's typical Shia behavior. It really is. <laughs> Do you have another uh, superlative? Yeah, my next superlative is best dream sequence, and this goes to the worst person in the world. And I thought that the way that they depicted that sort of the dream sequence when it, when she runs out of her house and the entire world is frozen. Yes, specifically, I thought mm-hmm. that that was such an incredible way of depicting that emotion and that headspace. Mm. And they did it so well. And then additionally, the depiction of of drug use in that movie was so good because there's such an easy the the cliche of like doing a Dutch tilt and and double exposure for that is in every cheap television show for somebody on drugs. But Mm -hmm. the way that this movie depicted drugs was was incredible specifically using sound the use of sound uh an exaggeration of sound was just so so beautiful and and some of the camera effects that they use in that scene too were just really incredible yeah i would agree and i think that's what i meant when i talked about how unique and daring the first half of that movie is because both of those sequences take place in the first half of it yeah and yeah they're so interesting and you kind of have this very naturalistic film and then all of a sudden it just veers off into these kind of strange like almost like big lebowski type you know moments and i was i was just so in for it yeah but they're really beautiful Okay, my next uh, superlative is the Unrealized Potential Award, um, and that goes to Windfall. Have you heard of Windfall, Chris? No, I have not Windfall heard of Windfall. is a new movie on Netflix starring uh, Jason Segel, Jesse Plemons, and Lily Collins. It's what a, the basically heck? a three-hander. It's just the three of them. Um, and essentially, it is the story of... Jesse Plemons and Lily Collins are this very, very rich couple who go to one of their kind of uh, desert vacation homes for a lovely weekend away. And Jason Siegel is a man who has broken into their home and holds them hostage for ah. the film. And the whole film is just the three of them in this kind of deserted mountain house. And it is, I call it the Unrealized Potential Award because this was a movie that I watched and I thought, there's a version of this movie that is really, really fantastic. Mm. And this ver, but this version, the actual version we got is just kind of okay. Um, there's, I think there's parts of it that are fantastic. I think Jesse Plemons performance specifically, um, is really great and really effective, but yeah, it was just one of those movies where I thought this could so easily be a 10 and it kind of middles in the like six to seven range. Sure. That's a, I'd, yeah, I had not even heard of it, and maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's why. Well, and Netflix um, is, like, coming out with a new movie a week, but then they're literally, like, burying their movies before they even come out. 
at this point. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I feel about a lot of streaming platforms. It's like, why do you continue to only show me the same like eleven things over and over again yeah. when I like you have so many other new things that are here that I just I never even hear of, which is just yeah. it feels very odd to me. All right, well my last uh, my last superlative is best for best performance, and I give this to Catherine Hunter in Macbeth. In, oh. The witch playing the, slash playing the witches. witches. <laughs> Chris. This I, I, that was a snub for Best away. Supporting Actress right there. Yeah. That was a, now, the Best Supporting Actress category at the Oscars was pretty stacked, I thought. Yeah, and it was. And filled with a lot of really great performances. But what, she, what Catherine Hunter is doing in that movie and what Catherine Hunter has been doing for many, many years, for those who follow her, like, it's really special. It was really, I, I, I'm going to be honest, I loved watching Macbeth because of how beautiful it was, and yes. 90% of the plot went over my head because I've never <laughs> studied Shakespeare, and I've read one yeah. Shakespeare play, and it was like, I'm fully confident enough to say I just didn't understand most of the movie, um, but my goodness, Catherine Hunter was it was just one of the most jaw-dropping performances I've seen in a long time. Yeah, what was, she does, for those who haven't seen it, Catherine Hunt, or aren't familiar with Macbeth, Catherine Hunter plays the witches who sort of are these obviously mythical figures that kind of set this tragic plot in motion by giving this prophecy. And normally it, there are three witches, but the way that they shoot it um, and the way that Joel Cohen kind of has decided to take the angle he's taken on with the witches is it's played by one actress that is sort of having a conversation with herself in three parts. Oh, it's but so good. Catherine Hunter, I mean the movie opens with her having this three-parted conversation with herself and what she does physically and the way yeah. she contorts her body yeah. as this you know, I think it's safe to say like older woman is so affecting and just I I felt like I could have watched her for Yeah hours yeah it like imagine the absolute stunning like visualization of Gollum in the lord of the rings but all mm -hmm. live action without any animation and just, just a person like no just, cgi just right, a person no doing capture. that with their own body yeah but like that even and but a higher level of that like intrigue in her motion it was mm -hmm. incredible yeah. all right you've yeah. you've one more for us Yes, my my final superlative is most unnecessary bit part. It's got to go to Barry Cohen as the quote Arkham prisoner at the end of, and oh, this is a bit of a gosh. spoiler, but I feel like I, it's not a spoiler I, at all. I agree at this point. so deeply. I'm so glad I, you said this. I haven't met a single person who was like, "Man, I was super pumped that they brought the Joker in at the end of that." Well, did you, so did you know that there was, there's a, there's like a seven minute deleted scene. Yeah. With I've, the seen, I've, with, I've seen that going around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and, and the sad thing is, is like, <laughs> the sad thing is, is I love Barry Cohen. Like I really love uh, him. I, I love him in Killing of the Sacred Deer in Dunkirk. I thought he was one of the best parts of like a pretty subpar Eternals movie. Like, Love, love, love Barry Cohen and actually would enjoy seeing him play the Joker. I just thought it was totally unnecessary. That's why I, I, I wouldn't call this the worst bit part ever. I just felt like it was so unnecessary. Yeah. 
you know, uh, I was, within this movie that I thought was pretty I thought Paul Dana was like very successful as the Riddler and that's all I yeah. needed. I didn't need it. To me, it felt like it was grasping at straws. It was like, yes. listen, we're just going to throw in this as like a just in case people just in case no one likes about, the last two right. hours and 56 minutes. Let's right. sprinkle in some Joker because everyone loves the Joker. Yeah, it felt really unnecessary. It felt really it, it cheapened it for me, certainly, mm-hmm. um, which was a bummer. And it was also just, yeah. just confusing. It's like, what? Why is he here if we're not going to like? I mean, clearly it's like, you guys want another movie? Here's the Joker. Maybe but it's coming. Yeah, I just thought it was very silly. That it was very mm-hmm. silly. So I agree with you. I agree. Um, all right, we, me and John are going to give a couple of th- pieces of other media that we are taking in right now. Uh, the first one for me is College Dropout by Kanye. I watched uh, Genius over the last uh, two months on Netflix and really turned me on to Kanye, who I had never really dedicated any time to before. And I've been listening to College Dropout, which is his uh, debut album, quite a lot. Like a, a, a lot, a lot. It's been great. Hmm. We love a Kanye recommendation. Do you um, do you do you know College Dropout very well? Oh yeah. Okay. Certainly. That's that's like uh, that might be the last Kanye that I enjoyed. College to Dropout. Be completely honest. Yeah. His first album. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you're starting to see a little bit of my, my feelings toward towards oh, yay that's good that's good um but yeah, i haven't watched i haven't watched genius yet um oh, i was really? i i was holding off on it because what one thing i did not i was not interested in was kanye doing a puff piece about himself because i feel like that's just his entire life but sure i've come to realize like the conceit is, of the the doc is it's not he's not necessarily connected to it no he he in fact there was a lot there was like a he was fighting extremely hard to have control over it, and he did not. Yeah, yeah. Get so it, I, I actually am quite interested in it now at this point. Uh, so my first uh, recommendation of other media would be the miniseries Dope Sick. It mm. is on Hulu. It is all about the sort of wild story of the kind of promotion and distribution and tragedy that was the OxyContin, OxyContin drug within the opioid epidemic um it it is a like i said it's a mini series starring michael keaton peter skarsgård michael stuhlberg will polters in it rosario dawson it has a great cast and it tells this story of a real tragedy of a of a, of a harmful prescription drug that was distributed in a really irresponsible way and contributed to just mass drug addiction and a lot of deaths and and so many different things and one of the reasons i think it's so effective is a michael keaton's performance he plays a doctor who prescribes this drug and i won't give any spoilers um he is truly fantastic in it and he's won several he won the sag award for it and rightfully Mm. so i thought and then the other reason i think it's so successful is because it tells this story from malt so many different levels and angles it tells the story you know, from the perspective of the drug company who developed Oxy, from the prosecutors who are trying to, you know, hold this big pharma company accountable. It tells the story from the perspective of a salesman, from a doctor, and from a patient. Like, 
all the way down the line and it really develops each of those characters and shows the part that they play in it and just gives a really, really nuanced um, view to a lot of drug and specifically prescription drug addiction um, in the world. And I just, I, I, it totally went over a lot of people's heads. Uh, Dope sick did. Uh, yeah, but I, I highly recommend heard of it. It came out fall of 2021, but you know, Aaron and I watched it the last couple months and yeah, it's just really great. So highly Sweet. recommend Dope Sick. Hulu. You know, it does not sound like something that I would generally be gravitate to, but you really sold it to me just now. And I'm excited. I think, to... I think it's worthwhile. Cool. I'm excited to try it. Uh, my next one is just a YouTube video. It's called Dune, The Sound of Dune by Warner Brothers Entertainment. And it okay. is, it's like a 25-minute basically mini doc just about like the sound design of dune mm. um and it it was so cool to watch and so informative and so engaging i just i loved it as somebody who is interested in the art of cinema and like the art of all of the different aspects of cinema it was really really breathtaking dang I'm going to go watch that as soon as we're done. My other recommendation is a book, a novel called The Other Black Girl by uh, Zakia mm. Delilah Harris. This is a sort of social workplace thriller novel. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just It's about uh, a young black girl who works for, she's the only black girl in the office at this publishing agency. And as the title would suggest, another black girl gets hired and it's the two of them and it kind of brings up and talks about all the tensions of of that but then in in sort of the final act of the book it takes this really really wild sort of uh like i said social thriller turn um that i found really really effective and i would not be surprised if this is turned into a movie at some point um if you if you like uh, Jordan Peele's Get Out, you'll probably enjoy um, the other black girl because it it is it is talking about it's using sort of that thriller genre to have I think really deep conversations about race and the workplace and all of these different things. So the other black girl recommend it. I listen to the audiobook. It's great, mm. great performance. So big audiobook guys over here. We love hey, an audiobook. We, we do. We love an audiobook. Uh, all right, my last my last recommendation of the day is an Instagram account that I found uh, that was recommended to me last month. It's at Show Shibaya, which I'm certainly pronouncing wrong. It's just S H O S H I B U Y A, and it's an artist who paints uh, on the front of the New York Times print paper um and he was doing this daily through the pandemic uh but he and he doesn't do daily anymore but it's it's he paints under so the new york times and the headline are uncovered and then within all of the like the borders where all of the body copy is he paints a gradient or a picture or something that is based off of the headline and as somebody who just loves sort of series of artworks or collections Mm -hmm. of artworks or lists of artworks this was it like knocked the breath out of me it was so so such a beautiful gift to find i loved it so much that's cool i like that a lot yeah 
Um, that that's really all I had for recommendations. I, as you can see, I watched a ton of movies, and I was really just deep on the movie train. So yeah. I didn't watch much else. Yeah. Are you? Uh, is there any anything that you're looking forward to in the next month? Ooh. Yes. Um, everything, everywhere, all at once is coming out. Um, new, oh yeah. A new sci-fi uh, multiverse original multiverse film. Yeah. I'm just. I've heard from a twenty-four. Yes, I've heard unbelievable things about it. Really? And so I'm walking into that film. Uh, uh, it's released nationwide uh, next weekend. I am walking in with the highest of high expectations for it. Wow. Um, I, yeah, I, what have about really you? Mixed, I have really mixed feelings about, I don't know if I'm going to see it. I don't, I'm, I'm like just so averse to anything. Like, I don't, should I see it? Should I go watch it, John? I hear it's incredible. I think I feel okay. like you should. All right. Yeah, I I should get over that. I'm I'm looking forward to the secrets of Dumbledore, just because Dang. I want to be back into that in that world. You know. Yeah. I just that movie I want can that. be absolute garbage, and I'm yeah. gonna which enjoy it probably it. it probably will be, but like yeah. I'm just I'm just craving the exterior shot of Hogwarts, and I'm gonna get it, and I can't wait to see it. It's really it's just about fun. the vibes. It's not really about the plot. <laughs> truly, truly. It's just about being back in the world. That's all that matters to me. Yeah. It's like, show, <laughs> spending... show, me, show, show me a snitch in the trailer and I'm there. <laughs> and I'm there. They, they spend multiple <laughs> millions of dollars just so i can feel like i'm 13 again that's that's really what it is that's all that matters to me oh gosh all right well uh, thanks for uh thanks for chatting john this was delightful as always this Um, was fun i always love to get to catch up with you and with our our millions of listeners this is great yeah our millions and millions thank you guys for listening i hope you enjoyed if you uh watch any of these movies which you should and form your own opinions. Let us know how you like them and we'll see you uh, next month for what we watched. John? Yeah. Bye everyone. Thank you. Have have a good day. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Got me.